Alright guys, welcome along to Scheme Me Up Body. We're going to get into Star Trek 6, The Undiscovered Country. Now this, in all fairness, has only been seen by myself a handful of times. It is hailed as probably one of the best Star Trek movies. But for me, I don't know. Uh, it came out in 1991 and... You know, um, the first watch of it, I kind of felt it was a little bit, uh, I don't want to say born, but I don't know, there was just something about it that they, for me, the chemistry just wasn't the same in this movie as in the previous ones. Like, you know, you've got the big trilogy in there, Star Trek 2, two 3 and 4, uh, those classic films are going to be hard to match and I don't think this gets to the level of them it's definitely better than the, the motion picture and uh, I don't know perhaps I've had, in all honesty I would kind of rank this probably on the same level as Star Trek 5 uh, but I don't know uh, The Undiscovered Country it's, it's definitely Definitely is worth a watch, but there's just something about it that just didn't hit home with me quite as well as the others did. Uh, it was made in 1991. It was directed by Nicholas Meyer. Uh, there was rumours of the this film was initially planned as a prequel to the original series. There was meant to be a cast of younger actors portraying the crew of the Enterprise while they were attending Starfleet Academy. But they got rid of that idea because of a negative reaction from the fans and the cast. And, you know, they wanted to produce a film for Star Trek's 25th anniversary. And, uh, Nicholas Meyer, he also directed Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan. Uh, got together with Danny Martin Flynn and they wrote a script based on a suggestion from Leonard Nimoy about what would happen if the wall came down in space, you know, touching on the contemporary events of the, the Cold War. Um, principal photography started April and September 1991. The production budget was smaller than anticipated because of the critical and commercial disappointment of the final frontier i do in all fairness have a soft spot for the final frontier and enjoy that film and uh, you know check out the previous episode and scheme me up body i was talking about that there um because of a lack of soundstage space in the apartment a lot many scenes were filmed around hollywood mayor and cinematographer Hero Naruta aimed for a darker and more dramatic mood. Subtly altering sets originally used for the television series Star Trek The Next Generation. I did actually notice that whenever I was watching it. There's a few set pieces in there. You're just like, oh, that looks like the, the, the Next Generation sets. Um, let's see, producer Stephen Charles Jaff. Jaffe led a second unit that filmed on an Alaskan glacier that stood in for the, the Klingon Kalag uh, cliff 
Edelman produced the film Score, which is intentionally darker than the previous Star Trek offerings. That's maybe had something to do with it as well. I was kind of, you know, as I say, I was a big fan of The Final Frontier, and it was quite light-hearted, and there is a dark, dark kind of a, a feel to this. Uh, that was released in North America on December 6th, 91. Uh, to positive reviews with publications praising the light-hearted acting and fictitious references. And, you know, there's a, there is quite a bit of humour in this here. The film itself is fairly dark in tone. But Kirk and McCoy and like, even Spock, to a certain extent, have a bit of a, a nice back and forth in this one. Uh, let me see, what did it make... Uh, Went on to earn 96 million worldwide. The film earned two Oscar nominations for Best Makeup and Best Sound Effects. And the only Star Trek movie to won the Saturn Award for Best Science Fiction Movie. Right, well let's get into pretty much the plot of the movie. It's 2293, the USS Excelsior, commanded by Captain Sulu. So the, the, the bridge crew is uh, broken up in this film. Like Sulu is not on board the Enterprise at all in this movie. And I think that might have had a bit to do with it as well. You know, it's just like, a, you know, that's the Starship Enterprise. You need to have Sulu at the helm and he is not in this film. Uh, the USS Excelsior struck by a shockwave. Uh, they discover Praxis, a Klingon moon, has been destroyed. Uh, the loss of Praxis and the destruction of the Klingons' homeworld's ozone layer throws the Klingon Empire into turmoil. Uh, the Klingons can no longer afford war with the, the Federation, so they pursue peace with Starfleet. And Starfleet sends the Enterprise A to meet the Klingon Chancellor Gorkon to escort him to negotiations on Earth. Uh, of course, we do know that Captain Kirk's son, David, was murdered by Klingons, and he opposes conciliation with the, and resents the assignment. That's uh, a great, it is a great, great movie that there's, you know, whenever Kirk discovers what the assignment is, you know, he finds out that Spock has been the the ambassador for Starfleet and all this here and like he feels betrayed by his best friend putting him into the situation you know, why the hell would you put my name forward for this sort of a thing and uh, you know they are kind of loggerheads for a while um, the Enterprise and Gorgon's battle cruiser rendezvous and continue towards Earth with the, with the two command crews sharing a tense meal Board Enterprise, that sequence is great in the movie. Uh, later that night, Enterprise appear, appears to fire torpedoes at the Klingon ship, disabling its artificial gravity. And during that confusion, two men wearing Starfleet spacesuits beam aboard the Klingon ship and uh, mortally wood Gorkon before escaping from them. Kirk surrenders to avoid armed conflict and beams aboard the Klingon ship with Dr. McCoy to save Gorgon's life. 
Well, he actually he ends up dying. And Gorkhan's chief of staff, General Chang, who is an absolute legend in this movie, and forever quoting Shakespeare and that sort of thing. <coughs> Excuse me, I am all stuffed up. Uh, they get arrested for Kirk and McCoy's assassination. Oh, <laughs> for, I was going to say for Kirk and McCoy's assassination. Oh, that doesn't sound right. Uh, Kirk and McCoy, they get arrested for the assassination. And uh, they're took to the Klingon homeworld and put on trial for the crime. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, Worf turns up in this movie and he's he's referred to as Worf as well so uh I need to check out the next generation again just to see like I know that Klingons lifespans are a hell of a lot longer than humans but uh yes obviously it was a a conscious decision to stick him in there uh the pair are found guilty sentenced to life imprisonment in the frozen planet of Ruapente Gorkhan's daughter becomes the new chancellor and continues diplomatic negotiations for the sake of security and the conference is relocated and a new location is kept secret uh, while several Starfleet officers want to rescue Kirk and McCoy the Federation president refuses to risk full-scale war even if the Federation stands a good chance of winning uh, you know, it's they're screwed essentially. <laughs> Kirk and McCoy on the the mines are befriended by a shapeshifter named Marita, who offers them an escape route. And reality turns out it's a ruse arranged to uh, make them look even more guilty trying to escape. And uh, there was a whole big cover up and a conspiracy. Of people that just don't want peace between the humans and the Klingons, and uh, you know that goes to some of the highest levels in Starfleet, and that's you know these guys have just basically trying to pin pin it on Kirk. So uh, to cut a long story short, and too late as you may say. Uh, Enterprise and Excelsior race to Kittimer, the location of the peace talks after rescuing Kirk and McCoy. Uh, Chang's cloaked ship attacks and inflicts heavy damage on both ships. At the suggestion of a Hura, Spock and McCoy modify a, a torpedo to home in the exhaust emissions of Chang's ship, the only ship uh, cling on board a parade that can actually fire while cloaked. Uh, Obviously, Star Trek, the good guys, mostly one by the end of these, uh, take out the ship. And uh, beam down to Kittimer and save the peace talks. Enterprise, at the end of the movie, is ordered back to Earth by Starfleet Command to be decommissioned. And Kirk decides to take the ship on one last cruise and notes in his log that a new ship and crew will carry on their legacy and that is pretty much where I thought they, the movies were going to finish off and uh, thankfully they didn't they kept going we got, definitely got some great stuff after this with the, the next generation 
cast and crew. The only downside I felt in this film was uh, Kim Cattrall. Now, I like her as an actress for the most part, but her, she plays a Klingon female in this movie who is caught up in everything that's happening, you know. And uh, Spock has decided that she is going to be, you know, he takes her under his wing and he's, you know, telling her that, you know, I'll be retiring soon and I'm, I select you to be my successor, more or less. So he's putting a, a heck of a lot of faith in her. And, you know, she plays a Vulcan fairly well but I don't know there was just something in her performance that just was slightly irritating and uh, but in saying that uh, I, I am glad they did what they did and they cast her as a different character because I was uh, I was doing some research a couple of months back and just random Starfleet facts. So uh, let me just bring up a little bit of info here. When they were deciding what to do with this movie and they were going to bring this character in, Kim Cattrall's character, <coughs> to basically, you know, stab everybody in the back as a Vulcan. Uh, the original plan was to bring Savik back. Now, we know Savik from Star Trek 2 and 3. And, of course, you know, there was Robin Curtis was the last one to play her. And uh, it was actually a podcast I, was, I came across, a science fiction podcast, where Robin Curtis was being interviewed and she had said that you know, the rumours had popped up that in Star Trek 6 they were going to bring Savick back to be that Vulcan female that stabs everybody in the back because, you know, that would have been a an even deeper wound for Spock because, you know, if you remember in Star Trek Free the Search for Spock whenever he was going through the growth spurts on the Genesis planet and then he was you know, him and her have that Vulcan romantic moment uh, to get him through the hard times. So the fact that if they brought Savick back to stab Spock in the back, that would be an absolute, you know, heartbreaker in a way for Spock. But, you know, thankfully, Gene Roddenberry himself jumped on at the last second and he is like, do you know what? You either need to recast. They were going to recast the role. They weren't going to bring Robin Curtis back. If they were going to use Savick as the character, Robin Curtis wasn't going to be the actress playing her. So that would mean that the, the character of Savick would be recast for the third time. And Gene Roddenberry actually stepped in, put his foot down, and was like, Look. 
either you bring Robin back to play this part or you change the name of the Vulcan because you just you can't do it he stood up legend of a man you know in a way I kind of feel sorry for the the treatment he got on the movies because you know he did the first one nobody was happy with it and then he was you know busted into like a executive producer throughout the rest of them so the fact that he stepped in to save Robin Curtis any embarrassment was uh, phenomenal but uh, it's a great way to finish off the the series for the, the original crew this was the last one they were all together on and uh, that ending sequence when the Enterprise flies out under the sunset essentially and then before the actual credits start to roll you see the the actors names coming up in space and it's their their own signatures so it's a, a nice touch to finish off the movie and uh, yes uh, I don't feel that the the film series was quite as iconic after this but uh, I think the only highlight after this to this point in the movies the only highlights after this was uh, Star Trek First Contact I would reckon it would be the best of the next generation movies so we will get onto them in due course so I hope you enjoyed this podcast if you did give it a little share along you know give it a little review i would really really appreciate it and i will talk to you on the next episode this has been a production of coins edge media check out my social media links in the show notes thank you so much for listening